Hello, and welcome to this podcast from Consider This. Please let me know what you think and tell others about us on social media. This podcast was originally broadcast live on Northumberland 89.7 FM. You can hear this show live every Friday at noon. Thank you for downloading this program, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello and welcome back. This is Consider This Northumberland and I'm your host Robert Washburn and you're listening to Northumberland 89.7 FM. This is going to be a very special interview. It is meant for a different audience. I am hoping there's a lot of young listeners today. I have a very special guest for them. Now, you may be a kid in a classroom or a youth studying at home or a person who is young at heart. This interview is for you. My guest is the Honorable James Coburn, our local Father of Confederation and the first Speaker of the House of Commons. He is here because it's his birthday on February 13th. And usually, Mr. Coburn would be involved in a special local history day for school children at Victoria Hall. But he's not able to participate this year due to the pandemic. So he generously agreed to come on the show. Here is that interview. Hello and welcome to the Honorable Mr. James Coburn. Hello, thank you. Oh, and happy birthday, sir. <laughs> and, and thank you once again, Mr. Washburn. I'd like to start at the very beginning. Can you tell me about your early life? Oh, it was many years ago, I must say. Uh, I was born on February the 13th, 1819, in on Tweed. Uh, you see, it's off the River Tweed, south of the Scottish border, uh, of course, in England. Spent several years there, uh, studied my grammar school there. And the large walls, it was a small market town, you see, close to the Scottish borders. What was it like when you decided to, your family decided to come to Upper Canada? Well, you see, my father was a merchant. And although we never discussed politics, I, I was but a boy then. We, we left in 1832. I was 13 years old. Of course, you would not talk politics with your father at that young age. He must have spoken about it with older gentlemen. I, I, I don't remember being such a boy at the time. We came across, obviously, by ship. It was many weeks. The air, the small space, poor food, poor water aboard the ship. Landing in the port of Montreal, and my father succumbed to Asiatic cholera there was buried in the military burying grounds just outside of town, uh, along with servants of the family. It sounds to me, though, that the, the trips in those days, it, it, was, uh, it was not a thing like w what you would be like on a cruise ship today. I, I, it was my understanding that the, the crew often uh, would only be allowed to go above board. Most of the passengers were below decks, that there, it was very putrid, it smelled very bad. Uh, there was sometimes water was leaking in. Um, is, is that what your trip was like? It was not good. Not good at all. This, this was not a, a fancy passenger ship. We, we were not a family of, of great means, although Father did have money as a merchant. Uh, there was not much in the way of deck time, if you, if you could see it as that. Uh, small spaces below decks... Poor food. Uh, I'm sure it was poor water. I, I just remember the smells as a young lad with my brothers and sister to try to come over. Arduous was the best word I could think of for the trip. 
Now, it, you mentioned that your your father and, and I believe one of your servants died at the end of that journey. Uh, that's just terrible. That must have left you and your family in a serious situation. What did, what did your mother do? She had to find us quarters while we waited to understand what was going to happen with what little finances we had left. Uh, father was dead. Mother had to make sure he was buried correctly and she wrote to family and friends who were in at that point was the the, the, the town of York uh, one of the key people who helped us relocate from Montreal to York uh, this was before it became Toronto was uh, Reverend John Strong uh, this was before he became Bishop uh, that was uh, oh let me see 1839, he was raised to the platform of bishop of the Anglican Church, first bishop, if you will, at that point of the city of Toronto. He helped mother get uh, find new employment and get us situated, originally in York. Uh, she was a, a teacher at a, 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 a girl's school. Uh, I attended uh, uh, Upper Canada College. Uh, it was a great training grounds at the time. What was uh, Upper Canada College like then? I, I know it still exists today, but uh, what was it like uh, when you were there? Oh, uh, different buildings then. It was at a, a, a totally different location. Uh, there's very little of it remaining now on those old streets of, of the main part of the city. Uh, there's a courtroom and such there now. It's all that seems to be left of the original Upper Canada College when, when I was there. Uh, it was a, a place to be trained in the way to, to write, to think, philosophy, and a, a great school to learn in before I entered Osgoode Hall and studied the law. It's my understanding, though, that it wasn't just anybody that could go to Upper Canada College. There was only certain families that could go. Could you tell us a bit about that? Mother did not have much in the way of connections, but it seemed Mr. Strawn, excuse me, Mr. Reverend, and, and then Bishop, of course, uh, he had many connections, and although I did not completely agree with his politics, he was a, a, a member of what was known as the Family Compact, uh, who seemed to control everything, and at that point, the entire colony, Canada West, or Upper Canada, as it was then known as he also was involved with the clergy corporation which owned all of the lands you see that was uh, uh, given to to the church in each municipality as they were being formed and uh, um, was unable to benefit from things financially but with him knowing everyone I, i'm sure words must have been spoken and, and uh, uh, to the right ears and the doors were opened now, you mentioned you went off to university and you became a lawyer. Where did you start your practice? Oh, uh, I had the opportunity in 1845 to move from Toronto to the, the, the wee village of Coburg. You see, many of the families knew people there. Uh, uh, Beattie, uh, uh, I had the opportunity to work with Darcy Bolton. Boltons were well known at that time, both in Toronto and in Coburg. Now, um, when did you become a full lawyer and go on your own? Oh, that was later on. Uh, I believe uh, 1849. Uh, you see, I, I had to be trained up a bit first. Obviously, once you first come out of school, you, you can't go off and just do anything. You, you have to learn and 
work hard at it. But fortunately, Darcy knew knew everyone. He, he was a mayor in Coburg at one point and uh, introduced me, helped me uh, uh, school up, of, as you will. Now, what was it like to be a lawyer in those days? Wordy. Uh, certainly, everything we did involved lots of language. Uh, but again, I was not involved with just the law. There was many other components that that uh, that interested me, obviously, and land transactions back and forth. Uh, I had a little bit of land here and there. Uh, I also sold life insurance for the Colonial Life Insurance Company, if if you can think of it. Uh, also, as a mortgage and land agent for Richard. Cartwright. He was uh, quite a speculator in those days, and I was able to help him in his business transactions. Yeah, I understand. Also working with uh, with my brother and the uh, Campbells, uh, selling plots of land in what was then Campbell's Ford. Now, I'd, I'd like to take a moment before we go on and, and get a bit personal. I understand this was a time when you got married and you started your family. Can you tell us a bit about that? Uh, Susan Patterson, what a, what a lovely lady. She was just the, the best thing that ever happened to me. Her family was, was somewhat known in the, the, the Coburg area, and we were able to have three beautiful children. Sarah, Isabella, Francis, and Mary. You became interested in local politics and ran for council. Can you tell me about that? Well, you see, council at those times were just for a, a year appointment. Uh, 1856, 1858, 1859, I was successful at the local town of Coburg Council. Uh, Coburg had only been formed as a separate town in 1850 with Darcy, actually, as the... Uh, first mayor in those days. You got a lot done when you were on council. Can you tell us a bit about some of the things that you you, uh, you saw through? Well, some of the key things were obviously the construction of Victoria Hall. It was one of the grand buildings that we had hoped at one point might become the capital of Upper Canada, but we weren't successful at having that happen. It was originally designed to be a, a smaller building, more modest, but if we were going to have the vision to be a capital, to be an imposing dominant feature, it had to be the correct size, had to be the correct grandeur of a building with a, a town clock and a, a tower. These were needed as long as with uh, large courts. Again, as a center of politics and government, you had to be able to support the various capacities of, of the government, which of course includes the judiciary arm. Now, I understand, though, that uh, there was uh, quite the financial struggle to get it completed, um, and I know you played a role in that. Can you tell us a bit about that role? Well, it was trying to, as, at that point, as town solicitor, you see, I was no longer on the local council itself. Uh, you oh. can't serve both seats at the same time. And working with the commissioners of the town trust, uh, this was appointed after the harbor works were completed and we were bringing in income with all of the goods being shipped in and out of the Coburg Harbor. Uh, thousands of board feet of wood, bushels of grain, uh, and immigrants landing uh, all had to pay the ta appropriate taxes uh, coming both ways. Uh, that helped support the municipality in those days. But to go and create the, the monies that were required and to set up the... the mortgage, if you will, um, 
to to have the funds in hand to to pay the debts for the construction of Victoria Hall and as well with the construction of the Coburg Marmor Railway. Uh, it wasn't Marmor then. It was supposed to have been Coburg to Peterborough Railway. Now, you didn't stop in politics at that point in, in the local council. You decided to run for the legislature. Uh, not quite. Well, hmm. not quite decided to run. It was thrust upon me, you see. There was certainly challenges at the at the local level, and I was thoroughly interested in it. But what happened was our local member of parliament uh, became quite ill, uh, a Mr. Clark. He was running against a conservative postmaster general, Sidney Smythe. And a week before the election, unfortunately, his health was so poor that he succumbed to it. And the backup... Uh, Mr. McDougall, uh, he withdrew his name a week before the election. The reformers didn't know what to do with themselves. So you can imagine a crowd of several hundred men in the evening time coming forth to my home on my front yard asking if I would run as a reform candidate and that they would help secure my election. Well, what could a man do? Of course I had to agree. These were men who were trying to do what was right for their community. So tell us about that first run for office. <laughs> well, with such a large crowd and such men of, of all walks, all, all types of business, they've beat the bushes and raised the ability to uh, uh, get the votes. I even had to uh, speak against John A. MacDonald, who, who had come to speak on behalf of Mr. Smith. Standing in King Street on a platform, and here it is, at that point, the Premier, coming forward and arguing against why... I should not be elected, and of course that his postmaster general should secure the seat. Very challenging. In the end, though, it was in my favor. Well, you started out as a reform candidate, though, didn't you? And, and later joined Sir John A. Macdonald and the Conservatives. What happened there? Well, although it was the reformers who had me elected, I never actually said that I was a reformer. You see... Uh, different uh, situations, you, you, you have to do what you feel is right. Uh, although I did not agree with all Tory practices, some parts of the Conservative platform in those days were actually what I felt was better, and some of these reform thoughts were a little too reformist. Now, there were some really sad times, and you, you faced some very personal tragedies. I, I know this is not easy, but could you share what happened? Well, first, it was extremely challenging. My uh, my mother passed, you see. She'd been my my strong right hand. She seemed to know many people here in town, and with her strong connections with the church and communities, family members all around the lake. One day, she stepped backwards, and her dress caught a light in the fire grate. She was burned so badly, it, it was over and so quickly. They tried to help, but 
and then she was gone. Crowds came to the church for her funeral all around the lake they came from. And then, 1862, my, my poor wife, Susan, after I was elected, uh, came down with consumption. It was the cough, you see, and she did not want, well, with me being away in politics, she did not want to share it with the children, and there was no one else here to look, help look after her, so she went to stay with her family in York Mills. And there she passed. I never remarried. You see, there was such a hole in my heart with her gone. I'd like to jump ahead if I could, please. I, I know you were reelected and and with quite a majority several times after you started in in the provincial politics. There was a talk, though, about unifying the country. And uh, MacDonald and others had planned a, for a confederation. Did you not play a role in this? Well, I, I, I was not part of the discussions that took place in Charlottetown, but being Solicitor General for Canada West, I had the opportunity to go to Quebec, uh, 1864. We spent days working on what would make sense to unify the provinces together. The Canadas, uh, Canada East, Canada West, uh, you know them as Ontario and Quebec now. Nova Scotia, New Brunswick, all formed, wanted to form, strongly favored becoming their own independent space certainly not part of the united states and no longer part of our mother country but important to keep the partnership if you will the the, the grandeur of the queen the importance of parliament the, the ability of democracy the, uh, a, 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 a vote where it was needed now in the formation, this confederation, there was a new parliament created, and you were selected as the first Speaker of the House of Commons. That must have been uh, a great honour. What happened? It was a huge honour. John A. Macdonald nominated me, me, from the writing of Northumberland to come forward and act as that first Speaker of the House. You see, you must have a Speaker if you're going to have a proper parliament. John A. got in, up in front of all of these elected officials, uh, McGee, uh, Dalt, uh, George Brown, Carchet. Uh, there was so many powerful, important men from all of the various provinces who were elected from their local areas to come forward and represent them in the first parliament uh, in Ottawa, of all places. So once you were voted in as Speaker of the House, how many years did you serve? Oh, many years. Uh, uh, three full terms. Well, you see, there was... <laughs> they call it now the railway scandal, uh, 1871, where Johnny MacDonald and the entire party was uh, removed from office, unfortunately. Those were challenging years, uh, I could not rely on my law practice and had to move from Coburg to Ottawa, try to regain some financial resilience, but very challenging. 
in those times when you were no longer a, a politician, you had a, a new job, and it was a pretty big job, and it was really important. I understand you were responsible for bringing together all the various laws from all the provinces into one set of statutes for this new federation. Um, what was that like? Well, you see, my health had been failing, and the stress and strain of back and forth on the train to Ottawa uh, to be able to go and stand in Parliament, I that last term, I, I believe the one year I was only in Parliament three times, uh, the last year was only the once, and that time I had to be carried in on a couch uh, just to make sure that McDonald had the majority for an important vote. Very challenging. So I knew I, I could not stand the strain of continuing to act as a local parliamentarian. And I needed some other position, and with my law practice crumbling, John A. granted me the ability to be able to sit down and codify all of the statutes of the various provinces together into one master document. You see, they had to be rewritten in different co colors of ink to see whether or not they needed to be repealed or how to combine them together into one codified document. Mr. Coburn, you've had a very, very interesting career and a very interesting life. I, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show today. I thank you so much. Sadly, he died on August 14, 1883. That was my very special interview with the Honorable James Coburn. I want to thank Rob Franklin, a member of the James Coburn Society, for arranging this interview. I want to thank both my guests this week for talking to me. And I want to thank all the listeners for tuning in today. Please join me again next week when we will talk to the people on the front lines and those behind the scenes who make a difference in your life and Northumberland County. So please tune in. If you would like to listen or share this or any podcast, please check out my website at consider-this.ca. There you will find past podcasts, news, and other information about life and politics in Northumberland County. Or you can go to the radio station's website at northumberland897.ca. I'm Robert Washburn. Thanks for taking time out of your day to listen in. And I hope over the week you will continue to consider this. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Consider This. If you have any comments or would like to suggest a story, please contact me at Consider this Northumberland at gmail.com, or you can message me on Facebook at Consider This. If you enjoyed this podcast or are looking for more news and information about Northumberland County, please check out my website at consider this.ca. That's consider this.ca. And don't forget to share. And again, thank you for listening and stay tuned for more from Consider This.